Looking for a verbal hand job? Yes, 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 yes. Release your frustrations and listen to Blunt Talk on Renegade Talk Radio. Renegade Nation. Luke Calgiovanni Show. Live from Las Vegas, Nevada, Studio D. Carl Higby on the program. Fox News contributor, former congressional candidate, former Navy SEAL. We're bringing debate back to America. People are afraid to discuss their views in our country. Mr. Higby's been gracious enough to join the program today. topic on everybody's mind, immigration, foreign policy. There'll be a diverse sharing of viewpoints. There's no moderator. There's no time limits. This is an actual conversation of diverging viewpoints. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're just going to start right now. Mr. Higby's a busy man. Gracious enough to join us. Carl, thank you much for being here, sir. Appreciate your time. I know you're a busy man on Fox News all the time. How's it going? How are you? It's good. Thanks. I always make time for running. Come on now. Oh, you know, you're a gracious man, sir. So, basically, what we're going to do today for the listeners, Renegade Nation... We're bringing back the original style debate, the Lincoln-Douglas style, the Buckley-Vidal style. It just doesn't happen. If you look at all the mainstream media news publications, shows, they don't really have uh, people come on their show and uh, talk about these sort of things. They, they do softball questions. That's not what we're going to do today. And, you know, Carl and I have uh, discussed issues in the past back in May and Renegade Talk Radio back in September. So, Carl, you were on Fox News the other day. You were talking mm-hmm. about, you were, you know, and I just want to bring it up because that's what people want to hear about. You're talking about maybe we should nuke ISIS. I wasn't sure if you were talking about No, I, I, I actually didn't say that. And that, that's, that's typical of, of any time you mention the word nuke is people are like, oh, so you want to nuke them? Well, no, I brought up the idea that we should have the conversation of what is the threshold for that. And that's a very important distinction. You know, there was a, there's a lot of outrage after that conversation. Even the host on the show gave you kind of a side-eye look. So you weren't advocating for li- literally nuking. You're just talking about, hey, maybe we should talk about it. No. Yeah. I mean, look, at the end of the day, would you like to go nuke a country? No. I'd rather not. But the fact of the matter is, is you had, if three years ago, we need to set that threshold now, because if three years ago I told the United States of America that there's going to be a multi-billion dollar economy with their own currency spanning two geographical countries, you would have told me I was crazy. Now, I'm saying, in five years from now, are we going to be continuing to accept the expansion of ISIS? No. We need to set the threshold now. It's like, when does this get out of control? And if it gets out of control, when they take over a sovereign nation, when it, 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 whatever that, that, uh, that, that threshold may be, we need to set it now. And if we're unwilling to even have the conversation of what we, what it would take for us to use that we've already lost this war loop. I see. Well, you know, and it's in a world of unlimited possibilities. It's I suppose it's not unreasonable to have the conversation. 
I uh, when I no. when I originally heard uh, that bit, I was watching it at my house in my underwear. I thought, well, what is Carl talking about? But you know, now that you've clarified your position, and of course, the mainstream media took it out of context to what you were saying, so that's that's a very fair point. When we get into this, because we were going to talk about immigration, but it's really more about foreign policy because immigration uh, is is a byproduct of that. And uh, what we what we have going on now, Carl, really is is it's essentially a war between the Sunnis and the Shias, and th- th- this religious war that we're having now. It's all theologically based. I mean, do you find that to be credible or relevant whatsoever that what's going on in the Middle East is completely religious based? Do you you, you have a take on the Sunni and the Shia argument that's been going on since the year 632 after the death of the Prophet Muhammad? Well, look, I mean, that, that region has been engaged in cultural and religious conflict since, like you said, since the 7th century. And the one thing that they can unanimously agree on is even moderate Muslims. They, they may not do it by violence, but they want to execute a caliphate, where, whereas that may be you know, a, a peaceful Islamic uh, migration movement where they, they outbreed the host nation. But they've all agreed that, they, that Islam is the only way, and everybody else, by believing in Islam, by believing in the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad in the Quran, they have they have all, and that not there's no moderate and extreme. They've all agreed that infidels should and cannot exist. Now, some are willing to do it violently. Some are willing to do it very peacefully, where they just come in and they breed us out. But all of them have agreed on that. That is the one thing that all of Islam agrees on. That and don't eat bacon. Mm. But. We, you know, we have to recognize that, and you know, there's a very, very, very small percentage that will actually visit violence upon Western nations, and those are the ones that are embedding in the ones that are, are and genuine refugees. And you know, that's that's part of the misconception that we have in this country. And I'm glad that you acknowledge that it is a very small percentage of these individuals who are willing to perpetuate violence. You know, there are a lot of people that say any type of Muslim is a terrorist, or they have terrorist ties, or they have anything involved with that. And you mentioned the caliphate, which which our government, frankly, is unwilling to acknowledge. I'm 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 no fan of President Obama, and he's unwilling to acknowledge that. You know, that's what the Islamic State is looking to do. They're looking to have a revolution. They're looking to completely dominate the world with the with their religion. Uh, ISIS has already claimed that they have their caliphate in um, northern Syria. When they when, it was very strange with ISIS. ISIS wasn't technically fighting against Assad. They were fighting originally in September 2014. They're fighting against the Kurds and they're fighting against the rebels. And they carved out this piece of Syria. And after they carved out the piece of Syria, it was near the northern part of Iraq. And then they spread into Iraq. And suddenly President Obama says, hey, now we have to start bombing ISIS, ISIL, because they're spread into Iraq and they're taking over our territory, like you mentioned. So, ah... For me, it's just, it's such a complicated situation that's happening over there, and, and most people in the public, they're not aware, sir, of the history of all of this. You know, and we don't have time to go into the 1950s and the deposing of the Shah and Iran and uh, the, the oil money that was caused uh, in Britain and why all of that happened. We just don't have time to get into it. But the, the problem still remains that this, this situation is so complex, it's not just as simple as these people don't like us 
I mean, sure, sure, they don't like us, but it's not that simple, right? It's not as simple as when George W. Bush said that they hate our freedom. They hate lots of things about America. Do you agree with that? Well, they, they hate the fact that we don't live under Sharia. That's, that's the bottom line. Moderate Muslims believe that Sharia is the right way to go. And you know, I'm just not willing to accept that, not in my country. There are elements of Sharia law that happen, you know, and it, it, it's certainly a type of a situation, sir, that, you know, in, in Michigan and, and in other areas, you know, there, there, there are even courts that now basically they, they endorse Sharia law. Now, I don't necessarily agree that Sharia law is going to take over our country, but it is a legitimate point that you make about that. And I don't think that it's unreasonable to say that. But. The, the fear-mongering that's happening in our country, sir, as it relates to immigration and as it relates specifically to Syrian immigration, I mean, listen, the Paris bombers, weren't a lot of them from Europe, right? Uh, it turned out that a lot of them were European. So Right, they went to Syria and came back. Right. Or so, Yemen or anywhere. Right, so these, th- these guys, uh, does that mean that we're not going to allow Syrian... We're, going to, we're not going to allow Syrian people. We're not going to allow European people. Uh, you know, and we've talked about this before back in May. You say that maybe we shouldn't allow any of these people in. Is that still your stance today? I, my stance today is I think that anybody, anyone who has been to Syria or come from Syria in the last 10 years, should be there any type of immigration from them if they're coming from uh, you know either a European country or if they're coming back from there and they're an American citizen should be first off, first off extreme if you're an American citizen and you come back you must go through heavy scrutiny okay from Syria or Yemen or any of these nations where we have known the terrorist training camps exist if you're a European that has been to Syria in the last decade I think we should suspend your ability to immigrate into America suspend it not not expel it but suspend it temporarily until we can get a better vetting system. Because keep in mind, Lou, this vetting process that we're using now is the exact same vetting process that was used on the Boston bomber and uh, Sarnoff. And everybody said, oh, you know, he's vetted, he's fine. Everybody in the State Department, you know, the ICE and everything, they said, look, he's vetted, he came here on a refugee program, and the fact of the matter is, he blew up the Boston Marathon. So... That should tell you right there that we need to, I mean, how does this benefit America? How does bringing these refugees in here benefit America? It does not. It benefits them, and it's the American way to help people, because we were built on a nation of immigrants, but the nation of immigrants we were built on were not coming here to change our customs, but to bring the best of their culture and assimilate to the American way. Well, Carl, you know, I think you answered your own question, or at least you answer my position. I believe that America's, you know, we're, we're a shining light on the hill. We are a country where people who are oppressed either religiously, which is exactly what's happening in the Middle East, we're a country that welcomes people like that. And the far majority of people from Syria, you know, they're fleeing Syria because of religious persecution, because of these religious Islamic extremists. So what the benefit is, I mean, I believe I believe that that's what our country is all about. I believe that that's the righteous thing to do. If we turn these people away, you know, there's a serious misconception especially in the mainstream media, that immigrants come over on banana boats and then they just walk into our country. And that's, you know, that's just not the way that it works. People who come to our country, they have to go through a very long vetting process. 
a lot of the Syrian refugees are coming into America, you know, and I'm sure as you know, America's only let in a couple hundred Assyrian refugees a month. Before June of this year, we were only allowing in a hundred a month. So this idea that we're, you know, we're being overflowed with Syrian immigrants, that, that, that just, the facts just don't balance out with the rhetoric in that case. But... Yeah, Blue, I mean, let's be honest here. I mean, do you yes. really trust the government, the same government that, you know, allegedly vetted Sarnath, that is running the VA, that has run Obamacare, do you really trust them? You know, the IRS, do you really trust them to vet people safely on the best interests of America? No, they're going to have people slipping through the cracks. And just one person slipping through the cracks, has, as we've seen in France, can do a substantial amount of damage. You know, that's very true. The one, one point that I would make to that, and no, I don't have very much faith in the United States government. It's corrupt from the top down. That's something that we both agree and agree with. We disagree on, on policy matters. We both agree the United States government's corrupt. But the point that I would make in regards to that is our constitutional right to privacy has been infringed upon for the last 15 years by the NSA thanks to 9-11. And the NSA claims to, you know, watch everybody. They've recorded every single telephone call, every single email, every single text message. The United States Post Office has a program where they photograph mail. These people are supposed to be watching everybody, right? And yet, for some reason, they can't stop these guys. It's bizarre to me that all of our rights have been infringed upon, and yet, who? what attacks have they legitimately stopped? I mean, if you look at uh, you know, the shoe bomber over Detroit, uh, an attack that was stopped, that was stopped by civilians. It wasn't stopped by our government. So my point is, it, do I have faith in the government to, to prevent these attacks? Not necessarily, no. Well, that, and, and that's the thing too, Lou. It, it is, the problem is we've engaged in a PC society now that is so overly politically correct that we're unwilling to profile racially, um, religiously. We're, do, we're unwilling to do any type of profiling whatsoever because we're afraid somebody's offensive. The volume of information we're taking in through uh, the, IR, uh, the, you know, the IRS with the money, through NSA, through DHS, whatever it may be, the volume is unmanageable. You, you cannot, I mean, what is it, 340 million people in America? I mean, myself, I spend probably five hours a day on the phone just alone. So, I mean, it would take somebody full-time just to vet my phone calls, which I'm sure they, they probably do, and they're probably, oh, so ecstatic to uh, hear most of the things I talk about. But, I mean, at, at the end of the day, you can't, you can't process that volume. And, and yet, you know, the United States claims that they do. Uh, Carl, thank you very much. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to get continue into this with Carl Higby, Fox News contributor, former congressional candidate, former Navy SEAL. I'm Luke Giovanni. This is Luke Giovanni show live from Las Vegas. Be right back. Stick this in your ear. The number one, the number one internet shock radio network. Shock me, shock me, shock me with that deviant behavior. Renegade Nation. We're back. Blue Call Giovanni Show, Carl Higby. We're live in Studio D, Las Vegas. So, Carl, during the break, I was kind of disturbed. The more that I think about this, this, this idea that we should even have a conversation about 
nuking these people. I mean, listen, right? The mathematics, the statistics on this prove that for every single terrorist that is killed by the United States, they create 50 more. For every single drone strike that happens, 90% of civilians are killed. So what what do you think is going to happen in terms of blowback, sir, if and when this this potential nuclear situation ever were to happen? Well, what, what's going to happen there? Well, I mean, here's the thing. is That's why we need to have the discussion. That That is way above my pay grade. But you know what? The, the fact is the discussion needs to be happening. First off, I challenge your statistics. I don't believe that 90% of, uh, of the people who are killed in drone strikes are civilian or, or non-combatants or whatever, whatever you want to call them. It's just patently false. The second thing is, if, like I said earlier, if we're unwilling to have the discussion, I understand the gravity of, of the, the power and the awesomeness of a nuclear weapon, but it, it, it is not without precedent because, look, in World War II, we unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because I would have rather it done a separate way, but Truman had to weigh the options of losing hundreds of thousands of American lives to stop a radical enemy that would not surrender, that was willing to strap bombs to themselves and blow up Americans. How does that sound familiar? Absolutely. So if we need to have the discussion, now, is, is this discussion of what if they get a nuclear weapon? Because it, inevitably it will happen. Not soon, but it will happen. The technology is available and it will happen. Second, is that taking over a, you know, a Western-style nation? Is it uh, you know, expanding their caliphate? Is it a major attack on America? What is it? Set it now, because the reason that, uh, they are so bold is because they know that Americans have no, like the American public, has no taste for war, and the people in charge have been placed in power by an electorate that chose not to go to war. So, of course, you know, the Americans have a distaste, distaste for war. But if we need to defeat this enemy, even the president has called it cancer. So why can't we have the discussion, Luke? I think that we're having the discussion right now Renegade Talk Radio. I think it's a little unreasonable because when we talk about Japan, when we talk about dropping a nuclear weapon on them, they were a state. There was a government that could call a halt to the bout. They could say, all right, we surrender. ISIS doesn't have a nation. So if we're going to blow up parts of them, is that going to compel the rest of their leadership to suddenly say, okay, we don't want any of our people to die, even though they know, even though they believe when they die, they're going to go to heaven and get 40 virgins. And to me, well, doesn't, the, the incentive isn't there. I mean, if you read, uh, if you read the, the book Freakonomics by, uh, by Levitt, the, the, the the incentive for the crime, the punishment for the crime, it, it, to me, it doesn't pan out. It, it, well, am I, mean, I look, wrong there? You, gotta, you are. We got you. Got to read up a little bit on this. The Islamic State in Iraq and Syria. They're, now they're not recognized by geographical borders, but their caliphate is recognized and their territory is recognized by the borders that they have expanded to up to Baghdad and through west uh, through western Syria. These guys have a state. They have their own currency. They have their own court system. They have their own laws. They have their own ways. And they have their own goals, too, which are committed to expansion. Lou, if you don't think this is a state, you are sorry. You, your head is in the sand, brother. Well, they claim that they have a state, and they've already claimed victory, and they claim that the caliphate has taken place in Syria. It, 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 it's disturbing. And to are be, they wrong? Well, it, they can claim whatever they want. And yes, they have control of the area. So, I, you know, one who controls the area, is their rhetoric wrong? Perhaps not. But to me, sir, it's, it's, it's disturbing because if we look at 
the history, and we're not going to go back too far, but we look at the history of 2007 of what actually led to the Syrian uprising. What led to the Syrian uprising at the end of the day was a drought. You know, Syria was going through one of the worst droughts in modern history. Over a million and a half people were displaced, mostly farmers, mostly people with cattle. You know, 70% of crops were destroyed, 80% of cattle and livestock was lost, and all these people moved into you know, urban areas where there was already economic distress. And this had to do with Assad and his his awful irrigation programs where they were growing uh, crops that were heavy on water. And now these people are in, are in the crosshairs of this. These people who were already displaced by, by a dictator who, by the way, should have never been in power because his brother Basil was suspectly killed in a car accident in 1994. Just to me, Carl, it seems that these people are the people who are going to pay the price for these religious extremists. And to me, that, that that's not righteous. It seems to me so that you're willing to have a, a bit more collateral damage in this case than, than, than I would be comfortable with. Is that a fair assessment? You're, 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 you're comfortable with innocent people being killed in, in a situation like this? Absolutely, I am, and it, it's sad to say. And I, I you know, I, I, I wish we could do this some other way. But I, 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 the, the, the thing that we're dealing with here, we're dealing with an ideology of people who are willing to die, people who are willing to strap bombs to their children. Okay, these the, the people who you are calling innocent. First of all, let's go back to the farming thing. Yes, I, I think the, the world might be better off without a, a farming industry coming out of the desert. I'm just saying. So. You know, well, they, we should not be subsidizing these people who tried to farm high water yielding crops. I mean, I'm not a botanist, but out of a desert. I mean, this is that, that's ridiculous. Second off, here's here's the litmus test. If you had a stadium full of people, and you knew with 100 percent certainty that there is one person in that stadium who is going to end life as we know it, whether it be a nuclear attack or a cal, uh, caliphate style takeover. Would you bomb that entire stadium, killing everybody in there? I see. You're posing the question of, you know, if I were to take a baby and I had to torture it for hours to cure cancer, would I do it? You put people in a situation like that. That's the question that you're posing, right? Would I kill all these innocent people to save more innocent people? That's that, that's a real Jack Bauer position to take, sir. But, you know, you are who you are. So... You know, I suppose you're more willing to, to, to go down that road that, than I would. You know, obviously a drunken uh, journalist in Las Vegas isn't going to be put in that position anyway, right? Yes, but, I mean, here's the thing. Is, is you and I have fundamental background differences. I have been faced with this enemy eye to eye, and I've had, I've had to deliver violence on children, which is against everything I believe in, but in order to save myself and my teammates, I have had to do that, and I've had to make awful choices in war. And I will still, to this day, believe I made the right choice, because at the time, it was me or them. Now at this time, it is us or them. It's, just, it's the same thing on a much larger scale. Now, Lou, are you willing to admit that these people must be destroyed as a whole, and to do that, you are gonna have to loosen the restrictions on collateral damage? Well, Carl, my, my my philosophical beliefs are that of anti-theism, and I personally believe that the entire world would be better off without religion. I think that religion has caused more damage to our world than it has caused benefit. But agree, top but, three reasons for every major war in the history. But part, but also, I believe in the freedom of expression. I believe in people's freedom to believe what they want to believe in terms of theology so my worldview would never come to fruition nor would i ever want it to 
So would I want the entire Islamic State destroyed? In my opinion, really, we have to go back to the history of all this because the Islamic State has been funded by the United States of America. The United States of America has created this problem. And this problem goes all the way back to the 1950s when we deposed the Shah in Iran. When, when we talk about this, we have to blow up these people. You know, it's, it's, it's like this, Carl. Somehow we have to thank the United States military for protecting us from a problem that essentially the United States military created and has exacerbated for decades and decades. I mean, do you disagree that Iran would have been better off in the 1950s with their democratically elected leader than they are now? These people, these people in that region do not speak Jeffersonian democracy. They just don't. They're only, the problem is, I will say, and this is controversial, but it is true, having dealt with them, is that region is less intelligent than Western nations. It, it, it's just science. And the reason is, is because of tribal inbreeding. The reason is because of lack of education, which comes from poverty. But it also comes from the fact these people have chosen to live in a, a desert where the only resource they have is oil. And, you know, it's not them farming the oil. It's a lot of other companies coming in and farming it out. So let's be honest here. I mean, that, that, that area, I mean, Iraq was secure. It was stable. It was not moral, but it was stable under Saddam Hussein. Yeah, you know, should we have left it? Hindsight, probably. We get into Saddam Hussein and all that stuff. One of the one of the one of the particular points that really isn't touched on in the mainstream media is how Saddam Hussein wanted to change oil from being traded for dollars to being traded for gold, and the United States, in my opinion, you know, attacked Iraq to protect the petrodollar to protect our economy. And if you look at Libya, Gaddafi was doing the same thing. He was creating a golden basket currency. So it's much more complex than people make it out to be that these people hate our country, that they hate our freedom. But you, sir, you're more qualified to speak on these matters because it's just a simple fact that you served active duties, Navy SEALs. You did two, you did two combat deployments. You were in Baghdad 2007. You're in Fallujah in 2009. So th- there's a difference in the terms of barbarism. There's a difference in terms of what the American people are not aware of and what they have not seen as, as opposed to what you've seen. And obviously that, that crafts your worldview to where you're willing to take far more ruthless action than other individuals would be comfortable in doing. And uh, I wouldn't say comfortable, Lou. I would just say that I, I know the dangers that we're facing here. And I, I think the American populace needs to wake up to it and say, like, hey, maybe we should, you know, yield to the people who kind of know what they're doing, who've kind of been there and seen this enemy firsthand. Because right now, the people who are making the decisions for this are, you know, not listening to military leaders. I mean, you, General Mattis was pushed out of command because he was actually telling the truth and what needed to be done. And it gave people a bad taste because they, they thought he was trying to be a murderous dictator. This is a guy who rose to the ranks on the principle of progress, military progress. That's what he made rank for. And now they throw him out for trying to win the fight? Oh, it's very convenient in our country that now we're having, you know, President Obama has deployed troops to, he's sent troops to, to Syria, right? Even though he said there weren't going to be boots on the ground. He, spent, he sent special forces there, which is obviously going to pave the way 
to a to a to a further more dangerous, more bloody war. Uh, we have a situation in Turkey who's shooting down Russian uh, airlines. That, that's, that's Turkey's problem right now. Putin is going to, they are really going to regret doing that. Putin is going to make it rain on this guy. I mean, look, President Obama, he campaigned on ending wars. Right. He put people, I mean, well, he put 50 troops back in there. First off, I think 50 troops, that's a death mission, and that is unfair, and that is unjust to our troops. Because to, to hold up a, a detachment of 50 people, is no easy feat. That is exhausting. Those people will be burned out in no time. And, it, it, you know, I, I, I agree with you. You're going to send 50 people into a hostile region. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's more ornamental than anything else. And going back to what you're saying, there there is going to be serious problems in, uh, in this region, especially since Turkey has escalated the violence. There, there are essentially four sides in this war. There are the Assad allies. There, there are people who are who want to be with Syria, and those people are Hezbollah, Iran, and Russia. Then there's ISIS, who really doesn't have any allies at all, except maybe, maybe Russia's kind of an ISIS ally because Russia claimed to be bombing ISIS, but the truth was they were more or less bombing the rebels, and the rebels, of course. Yeah, but we don't. We can't definitively say that those rebels are not part of ISIS. Yeah, that's. I mean, when I was in Iraq, we were training people. We were training. Iraqi police officers and Iraqi Army Special Forces guys that were going out and planting IEDs on Coalition Road in their off time. We caught them doing it all the time. So these people play both sides, whichever is convenient or more economical for, for them and their family and their tribe. So we can't say that Russia wasn't doing the right thing. We can just say that we didn't think, we didn't want to do that because we just armed these people. We, let's be honest, we armed the wrong people. Well, you know, Carl, it's, it's just a simple statement of record that you had multiple deployments to NATO countries, you were in support of joint training, you 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 were legitimately there, so you could say that with certitude. And uh, with that, we're gonna come right back. We're just gonna do a quick break. We're gonna come back, get back into this with Carl Higby. Great discussion, Fox News contributor, former congressional candidate, author of Battle on the Home Front. Check it out, amazon.com. I'm Luke Giovanni. it's Luke Giovanni Show, live from Las Vegas, Studio D. We'll be right back. Are your freedoms being destroyed by free speech? Shut up! Then fucking stay here and be blunt about it. Shut up! Will you shut up? Right back. All right, we're I back. Agree. Renegade Talk Radio. The most shocking, the most offensive radio network in America. I'm Luke Giovanni's Luke Giovanni Show. Carl Higby's with me for now. So, Carl, you're a busy guy. I just want to thank you very much for being on the program. I don't think that we have enough discourse in our country. And, uh, you know, we talked about doing uh, this type of a conversation a few months ago. I'm glad that we actually had the opportunity to sit down and have uh, have a brief discussion about very serious issues facing our nation. Absolutely. I appreciate you guys having me on for it. Uh, thank you very much, sir. And, you know, hopefully we'll come back. We'll do more of this. We'll show people that, listen, it's possible to disagree fundamentally on the issues, but you can still have a con- you can still have a civil conversation with people. You can have an expression of ideas and the polarization of our country 
makes that difficult. So, you know, sir, I thank you very much for your time. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll see you uh, a week or two. You're a very busy guy. Carl's always on Fox. So thanks a lot, Carl. Thanks so much, Lou. Have a good one. You too. All right, so uh, that was Mr. Higby. He's no longer with us. You know, Carl's a Carl's a colleague of mine. I uh, he he does have some interesting positions. Uh, some positions outrageous. Some positions not. Some positions are uh, ruthless but reasonable. We live in a time where I don't know what that was. Listen, we just live in a very strange time in our country. There is, there are no easy answers to all of this. And Carl and I didn't really get to break down the history of why we have these attacks in this region. Why there's so much hostility. Carl disagreed with my numbers. He disagreed that for every single terrorist that's killed, 50 are created. He disagreed with the point that 90% of people who are killed in drone strikes are civilians. I think the facts prove that Carl doesn't. And maybe we'll get back into that in the next segment. I don't know. But ladies and gentlemen, that's all we're going to have for you today. Quick show. Thank you very much for being here. Thank you very much for listening. My name's Luke Giovanni. I'm the editor-in-chief of Lucius-Politics.com. We survived Bush, you'll survive Obama. I'm a criminal and political reporter for Examiner.com. I also work for the anti-media. And for some reason, they pay me to sit here in this booth and talk to you. I don't know why, but I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. So thank you very much. Goodbye. (laughs) 